Welcome to the UX Joburg podcast. What you're about to listen to is a recent online UX Joburg meetup presented by Debbie Levitt on how to stop evangelizing UX and what to do instead. Debbie Levitt has been a CX and UX strategist, designer and trainer since the 1990s. As a serial contractor who lived in the Bay Area for most of this decade, Debbie has influenced interfaces at Sony, Wells Fargo, Constant Contact, Macy's.com, Oracle, and a variety of Silicon Valley startups. Clients have given her the nickname Mary Poppins because she flies in, improves everything she can, sings a few songs, and flies away to her next adventure. Enjoy. Hey everybody, it's Debbie Levitt. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, This is Stop Evangelizing UX and What to Do Instead. A little bit about me. I've been a CX and UX strategist, designer, trainer, and speaker since around 1995. I spent most of the 2010s in the Bay Area working at a variety of agencies, companies, and startups, including Fortune 100s. I was a serial contractor, often spending six months to two years at various jobs, lots of freelancing. Clients call me Mary Poppins uh, because I fly in, fix everything I can, sing a few songs, and fly away to where I'm needed next. I have my own CX and UX agency, which operates under two different brand names right now, depending upon the job and the target audience. I use Delta CX, which is the name of my new book, and I also use P-Type, which is short for prototype because I love realistic interactive prototypes. I'm also one of Axure's recommended trainers. Um, I wrote this from the perspective of my own experiences, as well as the people I've mentored, the friends working at other companies telling me their horror stories and lots of people on LinkedIn who message me for advice or who've been joining my live office hours. So this uh, this presentation isn't just me telling one story. This, to me, represents many people's stories. It'll probably feel familiar to, to you as well. Also, please note that I am shifting a lot of my language from UX to CX uh, for a variety of reasons I won't go into here, but mostly because I believe we're all invested in the full arc of the customer experience, even beyond the the digital screens and interfaces that we work with. So you may hear me saying uh, UX and CX in different places. And of course, you are welcome to tweet at me, though I'm very uh, not active on Twitter. Uh, Better to LinkedIn at me. And I also have these little cameras popping up on my slides, and that just tells you the slide's done animating. This probably makes more sense when I give this at a conference or private training so people know, ah, now is a good time to take a picture of it. But if you love to take screenshots of slides, well, wait for the little camera icon. CX is in trouble. You know CX is misunderstood, circumvented, belittled, and overruled. You know what it leads to. I don't have enough time to tell you about Agile, Scrum, and other methodologies that have books, training, and materials that exclude CX or UX. They don't even mention us at all. A few admit you'll need UX, but suggest that someone on the engineering team study UX a bit. Safe Agile, which is one flavor of Agile, suggests that UX not be on the Agile team because they've been too siloed. Yes, siloing us is their solution for the previous siloing. Safe is, quote, empowering Agile teams to do their own lean UX, end quote. They also mention that you should, quote, Include the design perspectives of product management, system architecture, business owners, information security, operations, and shared services, end quote. 
Sounds like the Agile team will be doing specialty CX work with everybody at the company except CX specialists. Brilliant! It makes me think someone at SAFE had a really bad breakup with a UX designer and wanted revenge. This is the tip of the iceberg of the problems you know are happening at workplaces. Our solution has traditionally been to evangelize CX and what we do to everybody at our company. I see job descriptions that require CX evangelism. That tells me people at this company don't understand or respect CX. Good luck working here. No other role at your company spends time and effort evangelizing themselves the way we do. Developers aren't making PowerPoints to explain why it's important to hire qualified developers and let them write code. QA isn't holding meetings to teach everyone the importance of testing software. It's just us, and it's making us look weird and whiny. It's not working. There are many things people don't want to be sold. A new religion, going vegan, and the value of CX. So I'm trying something new. I wrote a two-day workshop aimed at non-CX roles, and I created short conference session versions that run from 30 minutes, my minimum viable presentation, to an interactive two-hour workshop. Since October 2018, I'm presenting at DevOps, Engineering, and Agile conferences to a non-CX audience. These are engineering managers, developers, QA, product managers, project managers, some business analysts, and some Agile coaches. I wanted to see if I could write a program that didn't come off a CX evangelism, but would help them understand CX better, see why it's something important that must be done by experts and specialists, and give them concrete how-tos on properly integrating CX into processes. I'm possibly the only CX conference session they've ever seen that didn't try to teach them to do CX work. Before I tell you how it's going, let's see the hour-long version condensed down to five minutes thanks to the magic of voice acting school reading commercial disclaimers. Apologies to those for whom English isn't your best language. Somewhere in a parallel universe, slide one goes like this. These are the various titles I use for the presentations and I introduce myself. I explain that the talk really isn't about DevOps, but it's where I feel the most kinship with engineering, especially since, more and more, Agile seems to be about efficiency, velocity, and productivity, with barely a nod at product quality or customer satisfaction. So we move fast and continuously release junk. I tell them, CX is driven by some of the same results DevOps wants. We're problem finders, problem solvers, product designers, and customer advocates driven by product quality and building what customers really need. We care about our teams working efficiently and getting engaging, fantastic, easy to learn, easy to use. Tell your friends it's great products to market as fast as possible. Enhancing this relationship saves time, money, and sanity. I walk them through the short version of most of UCD so they can understand three key things. We don't just draw boxes on a page. What we do takes time and what we do takes expertise. I explain that their current process is probably to build what a CEO or product manager wants, QA it, get it on a server, and wouldn't you know, that person sees it and changes their mind. Now you have to rebuild, retest, cycle, cycle, cycle. If CX were correctly integrated, the process would look more like what's on the screen, and changes of mind can be okay during CX since it's easier for us to change wireframes or prototypes and retest than to have devs rebuild. I introduce my model, the Four Horsemen of Bad UX, registered trademark, now also the Four Horsemen of Bad CX, 
trademark. And they are frustration, confusion, disappointment, and distraction. It's a great model, especially for non-CX people to see when UX is bad and when customers might be struggling to be able to predict that better, to understand it better, and have some words that they can use to categorize what might be going on. Frustration, confusion, disappointment, and distraction. And that, of course, is a note to us that this is something we really should fix before engineering builds it and it gets released to the public. I have a section on lean where I explain minimum viable product versus the minimum valuable product approach CX often takes. And I say, take it from Eric, Mr. Lean, even if you're not doing lean, he said, what if we found ourselves building something that nobody wanted? In that case, what did it matter if we did it on time and on budget? Go to lean and minimal and you might be building what nobody wants. Your CX expert can help product and engineering prioritize stories and features to find that balance. Nobody puts CX in the corner. I have many slides on how CX and Agile work together. This slide explains all the areas we can fit into an Agile process from the portfolio level, where we are hopefully killing early ideas that have no customer value, to being on the Agile team, a true partner and collaborator, and sprinting along with them. I talk about how CX works into sprints and other flavors of software dev, whether or not they're using SAFE. And we absolutely must estimate our own time. People who don't understand what we do, why, or how it's done should definitely not be estimating our tasks time, budget, resource, and other needs. I explain that sometimes CX seems like big design up front, and there's nothing wrong with that if you let us estimate our own time. I tell them, when a feature is newer or larger, we might need to do research, and we should always be doing testing. Yes, these should happen up front. What dev team wants to build something that hasn't been finalized might still change. If the project is something smaller than a full customer workflow, of course we can be nimble and we need less time. Not everything CX does requires a giant runway, but product, project, and engineering must be prepared for when a feature calls for that. I tell them the story of Skype's 2018 announcement that they would redesign the redesign they just did because customers didn't like or want the new features. How can such a big famous company burn tens of millions of dollars, reportedly, on something that alienated customers and be surprised by this? Why didn't this project get killed or pivot earlier? I tell them, we can know up front. There's no longer a good reason or excuse to just build it, just ship it, and then find out later it's a disaster. Companies can save heaps of time, money, staff, resources, and customer agony by integrating the full CX process. Your CX department would have known at multiple points that the proposed new design and features were overcomplicated, lacking simplicity, cluttered, and difficult to navigate, and completely undesirable to customers. If CX is a bottleneck, you need to hire more and the right people. Not expect us to train engineers to do our jobs, as Agile and Scrum books suggest. I talk about how you can measure how things go before and after your CX revolution, both internally and externally. Externally relating to customer satisfaction, conversions, app ratings, and other metrics. Internally, like, I bet developers will be able to estimate their time more accurately when working from vetted CX designs versus estimating from user stories or a description of what we're building. I close by reminding them that what they have been doing or have tried in the past might not be CX to a CX expert. Many non-CX roles are creating methodologies that mostly belittle, downplay, or remove CX specialists, and companies trying them are finding those don't work. It's time to try again and get this right by correctly integrating qualified CX practitioners and processes. And scene. You can learn more about the training at deltacx.com slash dev dash and dash UX.
I don't ask for empathy anywhere in my presentation. I also don't say design thinking. I don't say, don't you even care about real users? The closest I get is showing an accessibility example where creative NFL uniforms made the colorblind unable to follow a football game. That example works if you're capable of sympathy, even if you're low on empathy. Many humans are low on empathy, and these humans typically don't have the self-awareness to know they're low on empathy. So they're sure they're compassionate, caring, understanding, and generous, even when we see otherwise. They commute with us, they work with us, they comment on our social media posts. And if there's one thing we should know by now, it's we can't change them. We can't create empathy or wake them up. The world would sure be different right now if we could. Which means, stop telling the low empathy to have high empathy. Unless they choose to begin a long and deliberate path of self-improvement, they can't experience more empathy than the level they're at now. We need to have enough empathy to see who is low empathy and understand that being outraged that they don't seem to care about users is not how we will appeal to them. For those people, we will have metrics and ROI. My fresh angle is mostly working. My photographer caught this moment, and it's one of my favorite pictures from my speaking tours. But when I first gave these talks, there was more negative feedback, including, my favorite, not work-related, just an advertisement. Speaker sounded like she was trying to defend her job, trying to use humor to cover the bitterness she has on how the industry sees UX designers. She has a good message, but the chip on her shoulder interrupts that message. That was after trying some more strongly worded slides, which I could tell at the time the audience wasn't feeling. I walked out. It was raw UX evangelism and did nothing to explain how UX fits in with Agile. Notice that the negative feedback I was getting are all associated with a feeling of being sold something. A few even mention that this is the same awful UX evangelism they suffer through at work. I've since rewritten the presentation many times, and now it gets nearly 100% rave reviews. I don't tell you that for ego. I tell you that because I found that shifting what I said changed how it was received. Imagine that. Where I have 60 minutes or more with an audience or at private corporate trainings, we start with a live poll of what do you believe about UX? All the choices are negative and they can choose more than one. You can see people happily voting for choices like it's something any worker can do and isn't agile. My presentation dispels all of these myths, but it's a nice starting point because... For the private corporate training version, here's the ending point. Give me some words or phrases that describe UX. It helps the audience see how far they've come from the earlier poll where UX were seriously bad dogs. And I tell them if they're still believing those things, write them here. So you can see that just a day or day and a half later, their responses are really positive. Nothing was repeated from the first negative slide. So we have to take a look at our own actions, words, and choices as CX practitioners, managers, and teams to see where walking a new walk can send a stronger message than, Sister, please pray with me now. So that tells you what I've been doing and how I know typical evangelism often isn't working. What do we need to do instead of traditional evangelism? As I like to say, you will go much farther being an important part of the team than you will by holding another meeting about how you should be an important part of the team. We spend so much time talking about empathy, putting ourselves in customers' shoes, researching people's experiences and designing for them, 
and then we don't do that for our own teammates. We don't consider that most don't want to hear a CX evangelism presentation. We don't consider what they need from us, what their experience is, why their CX dissatisfaction level is so high. What is their job like when we disappear and don't communicate? Imagine you are that product manager, that developer, that QA engineer. What do they need from you? Don't guess. Find out. We should be using our CX abilities to build a coworker experience that matches everybody's needs. People come up to me after my talks to complain that their CX teammates disappear into a black box for weeks or months. They slap a finalized design on devs and are never heard from again. Sometimes engineers receive CX designs they can't build and nobody collaborated with them earlier to talk about technical limitations and requirements. We have to stop doing that. Many CX workers are avoiding engineers probably because it's less than no fun trying to work with the people often thinking the least of you. But the best way to change that relationship is to keep showing up, keep being involved, collaborate, ask them questions early in the process, show them the work as you go. Give cross-functional teammates all the documents that are fit to be passed around outside the CX team. Make sure they have personas and understand how they're used. Show them your customer journey maps, CX research, customer feedback, your IA process, etc. Not because you need their approval, but it'll help if they see what you are really working on other than drawing boxes on a page. Get tools in place. Tools for collaboration, sharing concepts, sharing documentation, sharing designs, and specs. Ask for tickets in JIRA or whatever they're using. Don't settle for a Trello board or spreadsheet of CX issues if they're all in JIRA. You're on the team and should be part of their communication and documentation system. Make engineering questions and issues high priority. Teach them they can count on you to provide fast, thorough answers. When those tickets come in, I try to drop everything. I'm now their bottleneck. One might say I'm blocking the Agile team, so I can't say, oh, I'll answer them tomorrow. Go to the meetings. If we only show up to meetings to fight or evangelize and we never show up to bring positivity, help, improvement, discussion, and collaboration, then other people get a very one-sided impression of CX. Ask to be invited to the recurring and random team meetings. Go to as many of those meetings as you can fit into your schedule. Work with management to improve how you're resourced and allocated so you can get to more of these meetings. I asked myself how I wanted non-CX teammates to see me, and for them to see me that way, I have to be those things. Thinking about engineering, though it's really for all teammates. Debbie listens to and considers engineering's ideas. I've used Mural to hold my Delta CX ideation workshop with engineering to get their ideas for the product. That's ideation, not solution sketching. Many gave good ideas, and I credited them by name where possible. Engineering felt important and listened to. Debbie explains her ideas, designs, and decisions. Debbie collaborates early and often and doesn't blindside engineering later with finalized designs. Debbie is a fun person I like to talk to. She's approachable. I can send her a Slack message anytime and be confident it'll be a good conversation. Debbie has no ego. I can disagree or offer another idea, and she takes it seriously. It may not end up in the product, but I take it seriously. Debbie makes engineering feel included. 
Debbie has made engineering see the importance of CX by solving small and large things quickly so their work wasn't delayed. You know what tells teammates these things better than another meeting on how great CX is? When I am these things, daily, consistently, hourly, when you tap into what your teammates need and meet or exceed those expectations, you don't need to evangelize. They will become your advocate. Walking the walk, who we hire. I'm teaching non-CX roles that there are three ingredients to CX success in their company. The business must value the user versus what it thinks it can do to make a quick buck. The company and teams must respect CX, which means giving it the time and budget it needs to do the work. And finally, who is doing the CX work? If the BA is doing wireframes, the product manager is sketching designs, or the engineers are just building the product after they asked the customers what they wanted, this isn't CX. It's not CX when they do our work, and it's not CX when we assign work to the wrong people. There are two types of creative workers. I call them short order cooks and interface scientists. Short order cooks do their best work when you tell them exactly what you want. You have the solution or design idea, you just need the pair of hands to put it together for you. Please just wireframe what our competitor does since we're ripping them off. You want bacon and eggs? Here are delicious, perfectly cooked bacon and eggs. Interface scientists do their best work when you bring them problems, questions, pain points, customer feedback, and data. Don't bring them prescribed solutions, and they're not your pair of hands just wireframing what someone else wants to see. Interface scientists, think of them as experienced scientists, do their best work when they're involved in the problems, questions, pain points, customer feedback, and data. Don't bring them prescribed solutions, and they are not your pair of hands just wireframing what someone else wants to see. Don't even ask for bacon and eggs. Tell us about how customers are having trouble selecting breakfast. We'll cycle through research, concepts, testing, and iteration to find the best executions of the best ideas. All CX hires, including visual designers, should be interface scientists. We don't want order takers. They must be problem solvers and critical thinkers. We must stop hiring short order cooks and expecting great CX research, design, testing, and process to come from them. Here's a job description at a Fortune 100 company for a senior UX designer. I found out from the recruiter that this job was actually to lead a new mobile UX team to fix this company's one-star app. I loved the idea of a senior title and senior pay with leader managerial work. Thanks! Okay, so they want at least six years of full UCD, including research and testing. Sure. They also want high-fidelity prototyping, meaning you must have the prototyping subspecialty and you must be a visual designer or at least be able to work with a, an existing design system. I also love the idea that while leading a mobile CX team, fixing a very broken app, you're going to have spare time because CX doesn't take long, right? Well, swallow your coffee because this job also requires that you be a professional illustrator, a subspecialty in the art world. This goes way beyond purple unicorn. I learned that the hiring manager is a visual designer. Is that 100% bad all the time? No, there are some visual designers who get CX and manage it well. But when that design manager doesn't get CX and requires CX workers to be experienced and talented artists, we're killing the top of that pyramid. We might be placing less qualified people into important jobs. 
I asked the recruiter if the hiring manager would consider getting everything he was asking for minus the illustrator since that's not really relevant and it sounds like the person getting this job wouldn't have side time anyway. The recruiter said, no, we need an illustrator. I'm not an illustrator, but I would have done an awesome job in that role if they had allowed artwork to be done by someone with talent and time. So why would this senior UX designer job probably go to a great illustrator? Let's talk about what I call the gate. The gate is that one quality, maybe two, your job requires where it won't matter how great candidates are at everything else. If they don't have this, the gate doesn't open. You need to be an illustrator. You must have military clearance. There's nothing wrong with having a gate, but I'm suggesting that we stop making art talent the gate for CX jobs that aren't visual designer jobs. If you can't consider someone because they don't have the right security clearances, okay, that's a deal breaker. But we must stop excluding CX specialists from CX jobs because the gate is art school stuff. Typography, color theory, visual design, branding, logos, illustration, etc. Someone recently told me that they were rejected from a UX researcher job specifically because they couldn't show a visual designer portfolio. Your gate is broken. If we want to teach others at our company that CX is a unique specialty, we have to hire as if it's a unique specialty. We can't give the junior graphic designer some wireframing and then expect others to see that CX is a formalized discipline for specialists. Sure looks like anybody can do this. I've seen many workplaces thrilled to hire CX juniors and those right out of schools and boot camps thinking they can throw a lot of work at them and pay them very little. More than anything, these juniors need mentoring and coaching. They need work reviews and help leveling up. They need help with soft skills like presentations, knowing when to pick battles, and how to wage small wars as a customer advocate. They also need to learn the lawyer-like skills CX experts have developed. What message do we send when we hire only or mostly juniors and entry-level people and expect expert-level work? Hey, you can do a CX job with no experience. We don't even need other people on this team. In which other department do they hire one or two recent grads to do all of the specialized work? Walking the walk, management and leadership. We need strong CX leadership. Management needs to work with managers from the product and project departments to make sure that CX is brought in during the earliest planning of epics, features, and stories. If CX isn't at that table from the first conversation, we will all be surprised later when we are given junk projects that waste company time and money while building something CX knows the customer really doesn't want or need. Whenever I'm doing my Dev and UX Talk Live, I ask the room, hands up. How many of you knew the product was crap while you were coding it? Pretty much everybody raises their hands. We must collaborate early with portfolio and project planning to make sure we're headed for products that solve real customer problems for real customers. Management needs to work with leads from other departments to make sure they let CX do their job. Agile Manifesto Principle number 5. Build projects around motivated individuals. Give them the environment and support they need and trust them to get the job done. 
Managers, don't push people to be jacks of all trades. I once met a manager at an event who proudly told me he was making all of his artists learn coding. Okay, did they want to learn coding? He told me that didn't matter. Artists should know how to code. So I asked, how do the developers feel about the quality of their code? Is your artist's coding saving time for engineering or wasting their time because they have more stuff to look at and fix and deal with that maybe doesn't meet their standards? He blinked at me a little and walked away. Let CX specialists do CX work. The days are busy enough. Play to people's specialties and strengths. I'm for people expanding their skills if they want to do that, but not because we gave them a surprise job description change, especially one that creeps into the territory of other specialists at the company. We hate when other teams try to creep into our specialties. If you're working from a design system or you're a great visual designer, it can be fast and easy to work in high fidelity. But please consider more medium fidelity work. It helps teammates see that CX architecture isn't visual design and that the two can be separated. We can work on the blueprints of the house before it gets its interior design. And if it doesn't test well, the time spent on the visual design might have been semi-wasted. Great visual design can't save poor CX and shouldn't mask it. I know some of you disagree with my separations of visual design and other CX tasks, and, and that's okay. But since I'm a non-artist with a degree in music, I see much clearer lines between visual design and other CX specialties and tasks. If we in the CX industry don't draw more lines between visual design and other CX specialties, how can we expect others to make that separation when hiring for our jobs? Create more realistic interactive prototypes. I keep hearing that a click-through model like you would make in Envision is enough, but I disagree. Prototyping should bring concepts and designs to life in a realistic way. I design right into Axure. No, they don't pay me to say that. I don't use Sketch or Figma or anything else first. I go straight into Axure and see if my ideas have legs because I can experience them realistically. Engineering loves my prototypes since they're better documentation than annotated wireframes. If you're great at coding or you use another highly realistic prototyping tool, that's fine. Our screens, flows, error states, and possible outcomes have so much complexity now, clicking through a happy path just isn't enough for when we do our work, socializing that work, or running user or usability testing. Testing a prototype without realistic interactivity sounds kind of flawed. Managers, we care about diversity and inclusion, which means gender, age, ethnicity, culture, LGBTQ, and disability. Consider more remote workers as part of your commitment to diversity and inclusion. I used to hear that CX has to work in offices because we like to whiteboard. Now we have tools that can allow people who work from home or are remote to be part of these things. If you are truly about diversity and inclusion, and if you really want to find the best talent, then please look beyond the people who can physically appear in your office. If people need to be in certain locations like for a research project, fly them in. Managers, watch for people being set up to fail. Whenever I'm giving this talk at a conference or as a private training, I say, hands up, how many of you have ever felt like you were being set up to fail or you were sure you were being set up to fail? Most of the room raises their hand. If you tell your manager you're being set up to fail and they don't get it or can't seem to help, start interviewing.
Management needs to check that every cross-functional team a CX practitioner is being assigned to knows what CX is. I've been on project teams who wanted final wireframes two days after kickoff. I was on another team where at kickoff, nobody understood who would design this feature. The engineering lead volunteered. Hi, I'm your UX architect. That was my title. Does anybody know what I do? No? Does anybody know what UX is? No. Uh, okay. Many of these sound like they need evangelism, but remember from my new workshop that there are better ways to explain CX than the approach we've been taking. It needs managerial intervention and follow-through. It needs department-level and project-level strategy that goes way beyond, we will evangelize UX. For some of you, my next slides might be controversial. They're about things that concern me, but I know none of you are sheep. You're smart. You're critical thinkers. You have empathy. So I ask you, don't just dismiss these suggestions. Please think critically about them. Let's say our company has a product challenge. We need to research, design, test, and iterate on something important to the strategy of this company or brand. There's a lot at stake. We might want to call in a big consulting company, or we've been hiring some great people and we want our workers to handle this. In my world, and let's imagine I work at your company, I want that big product challenge given to me and my team. I want to research the heck out of it. I want to talk to everybody, customers, customer support, sales, marketing, product, engineering, stakeholders. This is a big challenge, right? And we're going to approach it strategically and thoroughly. After mountains of research, we want time to prototype, test, and iterate. Rounds and rounds of it. We must go for quality over speed. Don't give me a week or two for this. This is a serious product or service question at our company, right? I'm putting the band back together and we are going to be low ego CX action heroes. But lately, what actually happens at some companies instead? What ends up happening is often a design sprint or a team saying they will use design thinking. Hey, we can solve this in a week. We'll just do some exercises. Is it really being solved? And in a week? Design thinking. Do you and other people you know have the same definition of it? Did the person awarding your design thinking certificate judge your ability to empathize or your ability to sketch and prototype reasonable solutions? Or were each of these steps treated like a checkbox? Empathize? Check. Did it. Understand the problem? Yeah. Check. Got that done. Our work is about depth and quality. It's not about checking tasks off a list regardless of how they were done. It's about building a customer journey map because we interviewed and observed the customers. We know what their journey was. We don't guess or crowdsource the journey map based on imagining what customers might do. Our company and projects are too important to be left to guesses and assumptions. This was going around LinkedIn as the UX process, albeit in Portuguese. You can recognize this as the steps of design thinking, including a mini Olympics of possible technologies, user needs, and business objectives. From what I see people posting on LinkedIn, more and more people seem to believe that if they get certified in design thinking, they do what we do. I saw one post saying that design thinking is a framework that boils down designers and innovators' best traits so that anybody can use them. Just follow the framework and you can do what the best designers do. Let me ask you this. 
Are the steps of design thinking your process? When you interviewed at your current job, or as you've been interviewing for jobs, and they ask your approach to CX design, CX research, or whatever your core specialty is, did you tell them you do design thinking? And first you create empathy? If I looked at your portfolio of work, is that the process I would see? Why are we socializing, spreading, and training something we don't even do? When you're brought on to a new project at work, do you say to yourself, yes, time to switch into my design thinking mindset? Of course not. You have CX running through your blood and there's no off switch. You can't even walk down one block of a street without seeing the four horsemen of CX popping up everywhere in real-life services and digital interfaces. This is the don't walk sign in Tilburg, Netherlands. What does this even mean? Don't pee in a burlap sack while waiting for the light to change? Do pee in a burlap sack? The four horsemen won this time. Not everybody defines design thinking the way it was defined 10 or more years ago. It's still changing. No matter what it means today or tomorrow, you will still do what you're doing. It's running through your blood, and I can't come up with a trendy name to give it because it's a unique talent that not everybody has. Here's a screenshot from LinkedIn from General Assembly saying, Empathizing with users isn't just a UX concept. How applying design thinking to code refactoring can lead to a better software experience. The linked article says that before refactoring bad code, step one, empathize with the audience. Step two, define the problem scope. Step three, ideate on different solutions. Step four, prototype. Step five, test the code. What did engineers needing to refactor code do before someone told them to use design thinking? I can't imagine saying this to an engineer. They would probably punch me in the face. Here's something else from LinkedIn. It says, we hosted our first ever Kids Think Design workshop. Our suspicions were confirmed. Kids are the best design thinkers around. A company proudly proclaimed that the elementary school kids they asked to imagine how people would live and get around on a newly discovered island were the best design thinkers around. Are they doing what we do? Let's talk about design sprints, which are evolving, if not devolving, fast. Design sprints were originally invented to help startups without CX or UX workers quickly do micro-pseudo-CX and UX work themselves and decide what they would build for their MVP. Design sprints and the MVP are two startup concepts that go well together for startups without UX workers. They're not a great match for non-startups because we have a CX team that knows how to test concepts without coding them and releasing them to the public. We have a product team that knows how to prioritize and create a product roadmap. And why are we trying to model ourselves after startups, a segment of businesses with a 95% failure rate? So design sprints are evolving fast. Design sprints version one, in short, are a five-day process where, again in short, we are understanding the problem, sketching solutions, picking our favorite, prototyping it, and testing it. This is normally done by getting a, a cross-functional team in a room for a week, and hopefully nobody gets Stockholm Syndrome. We imagine that this is design because we're sketching solutions, and we imagine it's a sprint because it fits into one week. And for people who think Agile is all about counting time, then uh, it fits into a week. Great. But 
simultaneously, there exists version two. Version two is a four-day process, and you only need the full team for two days. The other days are done by the agency, facilitator, or other experts. They're going to do the prototyping and testing rather than having the team do it. So someone noticed that we really shouldn't have our cross-functional teams doing prototyping, testing, or interpreting testing. We'll leave that to the experts, and they'll give everybody a report of how it turned out. It turns out that some facilitators and agencies were arriving at Design Sprint Weeks only to find that what the business presented as the problem or challenge was immediately recognized as garbage or ended up torn to pieces when they went to define the problem during the first day. That'll derail a Design Sprint. So version 3 requires that a week or two before the sprint starts, the facilitator or agency must do all of the work around the problem. Personas, customer journey maps, and other customer research-based deliverables will not be made by the design sprint attendees. They'll be made ahead of time, hopefully by CX and UX research experts and not by someone using guesses and assumptions. If we combine version 2 and 3, what's left in a design sprint that we trust the cross-functional attendees to do as a team and still imagine that experts aren't necessarily needed? If we want experts to work on the problem and do research and create some of those artifacts, and we want experts to do prototyping, testing, and interpreting that testing, then what's left is sketching solutions and voting for your favorite. And if you look at schedules for some of the one-day workshops, approximately 40 minutes is spent on sketching and voting for the winner. So I predict that Design Sprints version 4 will essentially be team solution sketching with everything else done, hopefully, by CX experts. Perhaps today's five-day Design Sprint will become a solution sketching one-hour workshop. Hey, I'm, I'm just concerned. I'm seeing more and more jobs that look like this. Quote, Senior UX Designer, Manchester, UK. Multidisciplinary Agile Teams. Workshop facilitation, design sprints, three months, 400 to 450 British pounds per day, end quote. It claims to be a UX job, but appears to require nothing from UCD. That was the entire job description, but it did mention design sprints. This one only needs you for a few months of workshop facilitation, and then you can please leave. Look, it's my job to predict possible outcomes. I am concerned about the slippery slope. I'm concerned about a term that means everything to some people and nothing to others. I ask that we keep thinking critically about this. There's a UX book out there that is really working hard against us. Here's a quote from that book, though it sounds more like an infomercial setup. Quote, Whether your team does fieldwork or lab work, research generates a lot of raw data. Making sense of this can be time-consuming and frustrating, so the process is often handed over to specialists who are asked to synthesize research findings. You shouldn't do this. Instead, work as hard as you can to make sense of the data as a team. This is one of many strange quotes I could read you from this book. Which of you researchers find research to be time-consuming in a bad way or frustrating? Anybody want to argue that research findings and data are best synthesized and interpreted by the entire cross-functional team? This book claims that it's all about collaboration, but it's not about work done by committee. Yet, 
Their definition of collaboration fits work done by committee. It acts like everyone on your team has equal CX skill and ability so we can all plan research, undertake it, interpret it, design, test, etc. together. We're never going to get to do anything alone. We don't get to make a single decision. It's the book that Safe Agile adopted when putting us in the corner with a Recycle Your Garbage icon. This book is the second edition of Lean UX. Non-CX roles love it because they were looking for permission to do our work with us because, hey, we used to do all this CX stuff before we hired CX people, and we were great at it. They found that permission and so much more. Or is it less? I know it's been good to find some slice of what we do and to get people to listen to it. It's really the newest form of evangelism. At some companies, it might be successful in getting everybody invested in the customer experience. People who weren't given time or budget to do a four-week research project maybe now get that thanks to socializing design thinking. At other companies, they might be invested in design thinking, but still think user-centered design is bloated, expensive, and taking too long, and it should be thrown away so we can all do team workshops. So what do I suggest that we do instead? First, get out of the building. Gather the cross-functional team and stakeholders, leadership, and hire if you can get them involved. Have them observe customer interviews and field studies to better understand customers' realities. This has to be better than people staying in the office and guessing at customer experiences and putting more sticky notes on walls. Go watch our customers meet the four horsemen of Bad CX. I use my own flavor of a one-day ideation workshop, which collects ideas but requires that each idea be written like a user story. That way, we keep people focused on customers and their real needs. There's no sketching in my ideation workshop, and it can be done on-site or remotely. If your company still insists on doing design sprints, after they're done, get all of the sketched solutions and move the best ideas through our UCD process, whether or not they won the popular vote. I've seen some companies circumvent CX and try to push the winning design straight into product management or engineering to be released to customers. Make sure design ideas are given to you so that you can shepherd any idea with deep customer value. Any team exercise or workshop we do must have success criteria and KPIs. Calculate the costs and the ROI. Watch workshop outputs. What did they cost in the short and long term? Piles of people in a room for days, plus any work done on any of these sketches afterwards, those costs can add up. What did these workshops produce, if anything? Why did they fail? Having success criteria and better calculating costs and ROI will shine bright spotlights on when the workshop declares outcomes like, everybody really enjoyed design thinking, or we had camaraderie and stakeholders felt involved. There are many less expensive and more productive ways to have results like that. Shift terms to what you really mean. Talk about CX without evangelizing. Refer to your tasks and processes. Every job at our company is complex. Don't water CX down. Shift away from terms that don't accurately capture or represent what we do. How to get a seat at the table. We can't control which teammates show up at our workplace not knowing what CX is or does, but we can control what we teach them about CX and collaboration. 
Stakeholders and the business sometimes have low or no empathy for customers, which is why saying customers are having problems doesn't instantly get time and money for CX to fix everything. Our best bet is to tie our work and its outcomes to ROI and the achievement of business goals. But right now, we're just a staff job that looks like we don't make the company money. We're assumed to be a pair of hands that just draws with the BA over-prescribed in requirements. If the project is a success, thanks to the BA or product manager that defined what this would be, thanks to the engineering team who built it so nicely, thanks to marketing for coming up with some initiatives and tracking metrics and creating visibility and awareness, Everyone else is the golden child, and nobody even knows what we do. At many companies, this means our new best friend is marketing. They have the business's ear and wallets. They have mountains of goals that we can help them achieve. We'll partner on KPIs and metrics, and they will help us get some of the time and budget we need. Marketing will help us tie business successes to our work. We can also partner with marketing on work they often do now, but shouldn't be doing alone, like designing, building, and maintaining the public website. We can also test copy, emails, and other marketing things so that the public sees the ones that are more likely to meet or exceed goals. Even if marketing wants to A-B test, let's make B a better variant that's been vetted. We're going to make marketing look good, and they're going to make us look good. They will help tie CX to goal achievement and ROI. Some companies complain that CX isn't focused enough on business goals. They're not making stakeholders happy. They're too focused on customers' needs and problems. Well, what's wrong with that? The alternative is building what people don't like or need, and how's that working for us? Why would we do that, even if it made someone's manager happy? Don't fall for that bullying and decide to shift what you do to make stakeholders happier. But also, we shouldn't burn stakeholders at the stake. That's not why they're called stakeholders. But here's the real issue. Why doesn't our diagram look like this? Why aren't business goals and customers' needs more aligned? Or why do they start aligned and end up on different planets once someone has overwritten the requirements? If you really want to be agile, then as you are collecting and interpreting customer feedback, you might have to rethink the product features and roadmap. Agile demands that once you learn you're building the wrong thing, you be agile and shift gears. If the business learns that we're not delivering what customers need, why isn't the business shifting gears and changing their goals? We can't make customers change what they need from us, what problems they'll hope we'll solve, and what tasks they need to accomplish. The business needs to be better aligned with what we hear and know from customers. And again, that's where CX research is going to be hugely important. The more we're guessing, the more we're doing flawed research, or the more we're avoiding research, the less we know about our customers. We need partnerships, like with marketing and some fresh allies who can help us push these transformations. We'll need to work more closely with business analysts so they can get out of the habit of overwriting the requirements and turning us into short-order cooks. We can improve our CX world. I'm not the only person out there saying these things. If enough of us speak up and act on what's going wrong, we can hopefully push our boat out in a new direction. Be very mindful of where you are silent and where you speak up.
speak up unemotionally and respectfully, as I find that makes more people pay attention. Now I'd like to introduce you to the Delta CX-9 core principles from my book. The heart of the transformation we need to create is encompassed by these nine principles. Number one, our highest priority is customer satisfaction. Number two, quality over speed. Number three, don't get trendy, forget the buzzwords and gurus. Number four, we are grounded in proper research. Number five, success relies on low ego action heroes. We need to correctly assess our CX candidates and do a better job hiring. Number six, collaboration with respect. Break down silos, but don't feel pressured by any methodology out there to give up your autonomy and make you work by committee. Collaboration and design by committee are not the same thing. Number seven, play to people's strengths. It's okay to specialize. You don't have to pretzel yourself into being a unicorn. Most unicorns aren't even unicorns. They are typically amazing at one thing, mediocre at some other things, and poor at the rest. Our company's work is too important to give tasks to people who are mediocre or poor. See principle two. Number eight, customer touch points. Every interaction a customer has with your company adds to the story they tell themselves and others about your brand. We must deliberately architect all of these. And number nine, the cambiata. That's a music theory term and also an Italian word. And I use it to mean strategically taking the best path to achieve all of the above, even if that path is nonlinear and needs to jump around a little bit to get to the right destination. Think critically and be a change agent. Go forth and be these things. Fight for them. Join my Delta CX adventures. Delta CX is now available as a book. Um, it started as the companion book to this talk. I figured it would be like 100 pages, but then I realized if I wanted to try to fix what was going wrong in CX and UX, there was a lot more to burn down, and, and then I would have to build up what we should do. So every time I saw BS posted to LinkedIn, I wrote another subchapter because I wanted you to have every argument possible against or for something that people are talking about. If I just said, yeah, here's one reason why design sprints aren't great, I don't think you'd be as equipped as you could be to battle some of these things. So it ended up the Winchester Mystery House of Books and ended up 384 pages with almost 192,000 words. My goal with the book is to create change. I make about $3 a book. This is You don't write a book to get rich. I don't have a publisher. I hope to unify everybody who sees what I see and wants to fix UX and unite it under one cause and one model. I know many of us disliked the Lean UX book. We didn't go running into work and say, this is the model we should use. I'm hoping that Delta CX is the model we should use. My goal is to unify us and give us a common language because when we define things so differently and we do things so differently, the impression we leave on coworkers and leadership at our company is UX is kind of informalized. They, they don't even seem to know who they are or what they're doing. They can't even agree among themselves. Of course, other teams and departments have their own disagreements, but I think sometimes we end up looking worse than anybody else. So 
Um, I've also got a, a Slack group that is free. I like to hang out there and answer questions that come up. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Debbie Levitt, of course. You can follow me there. Thanks again for going on this adventure with me and thinking about how we need to stop evangelizing because really nobody wants to hear it and what we could do instead. If you learned something from this episode and would like to hear more content like this in the future, please subscribe and consider leaving us a review so that other people can find our show. If you have any questions, go into the show notes where you can find a link to our Twitter or even to leave a voice note, which we may include in future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.